without further ado, we're going to kick off our fifth summit. And everybody's going to talk about. But, um, <laughs> well, I'm going to take off my coat and take coat off here. Peter Borish uh, and lots of chapters, because uh, we both want to be smart and top tier, both investing and philanthropy, and represent that in many ways. So maybe you'll introduce yourself better than I will. Uh, thank you. So I'm really here, and most importantly, to try to talk about Robinhood Foundation, which I'm a founding trustee, and next-gen philanthropy. But I don't think that, given everything that's going on in the last week, last Thursday night, my hair was 100% blonde, and uh, SVB came out, and so that was an issue. I'm also a little nervous because there's a pro sitting right in front of me, and, and so that makes it difficult speaking. So, uh, how much time do I have, and I want to leave for questions? Five to seven. Five to seven. Okay, wow. I can speak quickly. Okay, first of all, show of hands. How many people think that the FDIC and the Fed and the Treasury and everybody did the right thing by SVB and First Republic? Okay, so a majority. How many people think that uh, the administration's plan for student loan forgiveness is the right thing to do? One, two, so not that many. So it's pretty awesome. So here we are talking about philanthropy, but the main thing is right now we got philanthropy for the rich. So if you're really wealthy and you had a VC fund and you didn't have backup and you weren't reading the AK everything, cool, we should get bailed out. But if you're a student and you're trying to better yourself and you're like one of the two receptionists that were here and all of a sudden you're not making a lot of money, fuck them. So that, to me, is, is an issue and one reason why the political aspect uh, is difficult. So as soon as SVB went down, you know, the red team went into its corner. Oh, boy, SVB is a woke bank, whatever that means. The blue went into its corner. It's all Trump's fault because we loosen regulations, but, you know, management sort of gets a free pass. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Now, I happen to be in favor of both because I think there's systemic risk and you would have had a further run on uh, deposits. So last question. So then what do we think the Fed's going to do today? Pause. Show of hands. Pause. 25 basis points. Anybody think 50 basis points? Even though the UK inflation number today was back in double digits. So, from a macro point of view, we have to think long and hard. So, I'm just going to throw this out there. You know, I do global macro consulting, and the trade potentially is to be buying calls on 7 or 8% two year because. If we had the SVB thing and we couldn't get anybody together in terms of saying, oh boy, this is not good when there's debt issues and the Republicans and the Democrats move to their respective corner, what is likely going to happen as we move toward the debt ceiling? So if you believe in markets and everyone thinks, oh, it's just posturing, but we all know, or I think we all know, what happens at the end of Peter and the Wolf. Anyone want to get, everybody remember that? Who came? Nobody believed them, but who came? The Wolf came. So this period here is particularly tricky from a global macro point of view. Now how does that relate to philanthropy? Because in New York City, you came over here. It's the greatest city in the world by far. And you can talk about positives and negatives, and everybody loves Florida. I don't see New York instituting a curfew because people are getting shot outside of Smith and Molenski on Ocean Drive in the South Beach. So you can, there's reality and there's fantasy. And in, in my mind, that's a fantasy. But when you live in New York, 
and you come here this morning and you walk over, whether you came by the subway or you came from the train or you walked over and you got out of an Uber, there's four things that we see. What does Robin Hood try to do? Robin Hood tries to work with mobility from poverty. And that's all great. You know, that's kind of like the This America Conference Zone. Yeah, I want to have world peace. What does that mean? But the reality is in New York City, there's four issues that we see every single person sees and walks by it, and we try to help it. One, you see homelessness. You see mental health issues. You see food deprivation, and you see immigration issues. We should be a country and a city that helps all of those. Now, it seems to me that the notion, and I just uh, put something up on uh, Twitter yesterday about the fact of whether it's marginal tax rates, that the notion that tax rates should be lower and that everybody should fend for themselves, we just disproved that last Thursday when we went and bailed out SVB. So let's, let's just think of our little history here. Remember the savings and loan crisis? What was that? That was in the 80s. Too much leverage in the banking system. Everybody, and then that potentially led to the 91-92 recession. Who gets hurt most in recessions? Right. Exactly. So the world has to, if the markets are going to adjust for it. So when the seesaw's out of whack, so, you know, take somebody who's got a lot of money. So take Mark, right? So he's got, you know. <laughs> well, I'm going to cut you off on that. No, 30 seconds. <laughs> he's got a couple of, you know, he's got a million dollars. His kid's got 50000 If the market doubles, the spread between those who are doing everything they're supposed to do, he, the kid gets 100000 he gets $2 million. That spread gets wider and wider, the compounding. That's why during this period, of extraordinary low interest rates, financial excess, the seesaw has got out of whack. So what happens? Markets work. Now, if it goes down by 50%, he has 500000 and the kid has fifty, And that spread gets very much narrower. That's what's happening that's likely to continue to happen. So when we're here in New York City, and you see that, those four issues, that's what we try to address. Now, Robinhood is a unique model, right? The board pays for the overhead. So, therefore, every dollar you contribute is going to go out in the next uh, 12 months to the, helping those who need it the most. And what we're trying to do, and what we're, we want to have more partnerships. And so, Robinhood has to evolve just like every business has to evolve. So, when we started, after what happened was after the 87 crash, uh, Paul and I, we said, ooh, we could have some real issues here. So we're going to try to help uh, Robin Hood. We were like the first fund of funds, right? If for the not-for-profit world, as the fund of funds industry evolved in the hedge fund world. With technology, data, and disintermediation, the fund of funds world and the hedge fund world has dissipated. It's done that somewhat in not-for-profits because people want to do directly. So we're, if you have a particular program interest, then we can help you because we have expertise, we have the data, and we have the staff. So the key for Robinhood is all about helping those who are less fortunate in the greatest city in the world. So hopefully we have a couple seconds or minutes, I don't know, if we're behind the schedule. Stick around. We'll, we're going to like have the, the aggregate set of questions that will tap. And I want Fiona to come and, and chime in, and then some others, but don't move. Yeah. Don't move. A lot of pressure, too. <laughs> <laughs> but all those points are well taken. So, uh, Fiona, I think my colleague is going to share the screen. I'll get, I'm going to move over yeah. here, so I'm not... You do have to move. So, Nessa, you can share your screen with uh, what Fiona's going to So, just to keep everybody in their bright early morning, I'd love you all to stand for a minute. But since we're all sitting down, 
I'd like, and if you don't want to stand, and I'd like you at least just think that you are taking a breath and think about the world and the trees and the spirits and all of us. And thank you, Mark, and everybody for being here. Um, I've been an investor and and I've learned what not to invest in. And that's really the greatest act, but one of the beauties that I enjoy is experiencing the rainforest. So is this, is she going to put it on? Rainforest, an area home to more species than anywhere else on Earth. I feel like I'm in the heart of everything. There's a thriving that is really powerful. An area that cleans our air, purifies our water, and holds many of the important solutions to tomorrow's problems. This rainforest is instrumental to the survival of the entire human race. We need to protect what we have. The future of humanity is at stake. How can we monitor a large area of forests that would provide us with a view of the tropical forest functioning? Once we start this, then it's 
if we go to the couple more slides forward. Um, there we go. So Hector Vargas is with in the he's running um, I've known Hector for twenty years. I invested in education with Hector. In other words, I borrowed a Russian guy's boat, went up the river in Coca, and I put together an institutional type of school that I did not touch, that was run by the Schwar and the Kichwa for themselves, by themselves, as a microfinance investor. That is something I learned to do was give them the money, let them self-organize, and let them profit, not just by the money that they get from the loans, but by bringing education to the next generation and the next generation forward. So Hector actually is working on that. Okay. So so Hector is, is running part of our project down in Ecuador. Um, we have Fast Amazonas. Fast Amazonas is the largest um, nonprofit with 500 plus families, groups of tribes in Brazil. And then we are working with people in the Maori, um, in New Zealand, and we're working with the indigenous communities around the globe. So bringing it back, who can afford these beautiful drones? I afford that. There you go. I need some more drones, by the way. So these drones, um, Dragonfly, amazing, came in on a Sunday night. I said, spoke to the CEO, and I said, I need to take them through the rainforest, through the most rare plants in Singapore. And he's like, really? How am I going to get clearance in Singapore to go through Singapore? And I said, well, that's what the XPRIZE is doing. So we are now, in May, going to take Dragonfly drones and fly not just above, but we're going below. And then we have three small submarine drones that are going into the basin, into the water, and we will be using not just audio, DNA to soil sampling, the plant recognition from people, but we will have the subtlest thing. Joe spent 40 years 
um, started buying stocks in college uh, in the public and private markets. He ran a family office for 20 years, originally at 3000 Sand Hill Road, the Band of Angels was founded in this office. So you can ask him about that. His experience in 25 years of researching the venture industry has defined what he is doing now, bringing long overdue innovation and professional investing practices to how startups are funded. And yes, I'm originally from New York and I'm talking quickly. So, Joe, I want to welcome you, and I don't see you, but I know that you're there. Um, what you and I talked about, I want you to kind of give an overview, a real brief overview on what's the false narrative around social impact that people have. Yeah, can you can you hear me okay? Very well. Okay, good. Um, I'm struggling with the mic to hear you, but I did get that. I question is what is some of the false narrative around social impact investing? Is that was that the question? Yeah, yeah I, I have been in this space a, a fair period of time. Um, and one of the principal false narratives is this notion of concessionary returns. Um, I think that is a, a misplaced um, characterization, um, trying to suggest that impact investors are the dumb money at the table, if you will. Um, I think that given the headlines in, in the last couple of weeks, I think we can see there's a whole lot of dumb money that was involved in Silicon Valley Bank. So the, the false narrative of concessionary returns is just, again, completely misplaced. Um, it's more reflection on misallocation of capital, a poor investment construction process. But that's not something that applies just to impact investors. It applies to a lot of others in the venture and entrepreneurial space. So I, again, I, I've, I've seen that narrative numerous times and the people that are trying to put, put, put forth that narrative are oftentimes trying to just position themselves as the smart money, which is just in and of itself an offensive phrase. I'm going to ask you another question that puts things in perspective a little bit. Can you share a little bit about the old models of social impact versus the new models? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that that that's a wonderful bridge to that because the notion of funding entrepreneurial ventures um, historically, it's been done one deal at a time, and that's really what I call the old model, a transactional approach to supporting new innovative companies, impact or not. And I think it's important, I, I think one of your questions um, that we're going to discuss is what is an impact company, which I think is really important conversation in and of itself. Um, and I'll just default to Gene Case's definition, uh, a partial component of the definition is impact is in the eye of the investor. It's not for anybody else to say that is or isn't a social impact company. It is solely in the eyes of the investors that are choosing to support that entrepreneurial venture um, as to define whether it has an impact um, uh, that's important to that potential investor. But the old model is this view of concessionary returns, but also taking it from a transactional approach, this deal or that deal or that deal. Um, the research is clear on this, that the opportunity to capture meaningful returns off of innovative companies, given the history and the risks of the asset class, again, impact or not, um, is the, the opportunity to capture meaningful returns is available if the capital is deployed properly. And what I mean by that is, is the portfolio strategy itself um, embraced such that you're managing risks properly through proper diversification. You want to invest in green tech, invest in a pool of them, a bunch of them, because that allows for the probability of success of your green tech impact portfolio to succeed somewhere down the road. You don't try and rifle shoot and say, I think that's a really good green tech or that's a really good green tech. Okay or you want to support female entrepreneurs or diverse populations. Ironically, a better portfolio construction, i.e. more diversification, 
actually magnifies the impact you're intending to have, supporting more in the green tech field or female entrepreneurship. So a better constructed portfolio will actually improve what I call the psychic return, the qualitative ROI. It's that same return that people that give money away generously, that's their economic return is the psychic return or the qualitative return. Impact investing, you have to calibrate return, both financial and non-financial. And the more you diversify a portfolio around your impact thesis, the more psychic return you're gonna receive. And I, the math is clear, you're likely to have a better financial return as well. So the old model is transactional. The new model is deploying capital well, managing risks to optimize on total return, psychic, qualitative and quantitative, financial. And as a researcher, I'm really happy you mentioned qualitative and quantitative in the same sentence. Um, I know in the interest of time, I just want to ask you, you had made reference to something that we were going to touch upon. I want you just to have the ability to share with folks here something that you think is really important in the area of social impact that maybe we haven't touched upon and then we'll uh, move on to our other panelists. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, you bet. Um, and I, I think this new model is really a critical um, and important point to really emphasize, this new model of diversification, because families, family offices, wealthy families that are well-intended and want to deploy more capital in impact investing, they struggle because of do we staff up and, and hire people to do the due diligence to do a transactional approach? Well, they already have the professional investment staff oftentimes that's comfortable with allocating capital to diversified portfolios. So they already have the in-house capability for that sort of the new model approach. And then just one last thing, which is a topic that it, it's hard to make it sexy, but it really is um, for nerds like me is, um, some overlooked tax incentives, particularly in the impact space, that are so important and can instantly de-risk impact investing, make you look like the smartest money at the table, smarter than most angels and VCs that are out there today because they don't utilize these tax incentives. And, and the specific one to impact investing is called Qualified Small Business Stock, QSBS, under Section 1244. Of the IRS code, QSBS section 1244. That's the original QSBS law. Most people don't even know it exists. There are some folks that understand it's, it's newer cousin um, called section 1202, QSBS under section 1202. That's favorable treatment on profits. I, but the really critical one for social impact investing is 1244, which simply says, if you're willing to be part of the first million dollars going into a qualified startup, has to be a C-Corp and they have to be in the business of making and selling something. That's all it takes to qualify largely. And that startup fails. Let's think of an impact company or a impact startup or green tech or female okay. entrepreneur. Okay. Diverse, 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 diversity. I love you, but we got to keep it moving. Yeah. If you invest, you can lift and it fails. You can literally get a better financial write-off than if you gave an equivalent amount of money to a nonprofit. It's a yeah. better financial transaction to invest in an impact startup that fails than if you gave a similar amount to a nonprofit drawing attention to the same topic. Ooh. And if it succeeds, that's a beautiful way to, to, to close with the giving money to one even if it fails. I like that. Oh, yeah, you either give them a fish yeah. or teach them to fish. Invest in an impact startup, and it's a better financial transaction than a 501c3 write-off if the startup fails. And if they succeed, you've got potential for tax-free profits, and you're having the impact you had hoped for. That's a no-brainer for impact investors, and it's just not talked about, not used, and it's low-hanging fruit. And you did let me down with um, not providing a fishing analogy, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I look forward to seeing you in person. Um, thanks, Joe. The other uh, panelists who couldn't be here today, Consuelo Vanderbilt-Cosson, she unfortunately um, got ill last night, and she couldn't be here. What I do want to do, though, in her 
absent is read her bio, real quick bio, and I invite you to come and talk to me a little bit. I'm doing some work with her that I can elaborate on. But in, uh, in her absence, let me just read her bio. Consuelo Vanderbilt Costin, the seventh generation descendant of shipping and railroad tycoon Cornelius Vanderbilt, is an American singer, composer, songwriter, designer, actress, philanthropist, and entrepreneur. Her music has made it to Billboard's top charts with hit singles earning her Billboard's number two breakout artist honor. Consuelo is the CEO and co-founder of Soho Muse, a member-driven social networking platform for creative professionals that has garnered thousands of memberships from globally renowned designers, artists, musicians, directors, dancers, makeup artists, and more. And so, um, again, we miss you, Consuelo, and I would be more than happy to share additional information or some of the projects that we're working on together. Now, <laughs> Rita, <laughs> some of you who hardly need an introduction and who puts me in a very nervous place as not interviewing Rita. So let me give you a quick, brief um, background uh, if you don't know who she is. Rita Kosky is one of the most recognized and respected broadcasters in America who has attained an extraordinary level of success in multiple arenas that few in the media broadcasting landscape has ever achieved and acclaimed Emmy winning TV host known for anchoring her highly, uh, highly you know, primetime shows on NBC and Fox News. She's also a veteran correspondent, multiple best-selling author who was uh, listed in 2017 and 2018 among the top 200 most influential authors in the world. Rita has secured exclusive interviews with more than 20 world leaders, including seven U.S. presidents, and became the first American journalist to interview Pope Francis. When he spoke, when she spoke to him at the Vatican about his historic Mideast Peace Summit, she's also currently chair of the game-changing Global Service Institute um, of Long Island University. And Rita, it is a treasure having you here and being able to ask you a few questions. The first question that I do want to ask you is. We're here actually to talk about your work with the Global Institute and with such a varied background that you have in media, what brought you to wanting to do social impact? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm a little used to being a friend of the mic, but it's nice being interviewed. I'm just like, so one, um, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Mark um, and also Michael Faye. Um, as someone who has spent my life interviewing so many people all over the world, um, I was worried that that introduction to Consuelo was me because I can't sing, okay? <laughs> That's one thing I can't do. But for me, I've always been asked to be a part of different charities and asked to speak at different charities and always believed, um, as many of you who are so busy in the room, um, that time is really one of the most precious resources, not just mine. And I've probably been involved in a thousand charities in my life, um, from every single walk of life, whether it's rainforest, whether it's climate, whether it's military, um, child uh, education, so many different layers. And just a few years ago, I ran into uh, some folks at Long Island University, and I'll share with you in a little bit about why they're such an extraordinary place. And I had never sort of thought about being involved in education on um, such an integral way. 
Um, but we started talking, and uh, it became where I was going to be one of their speakers for maybe a conference that they were doing. They were some doing really extraordinary things. And I said, you know, there's no place, really. I was just talking with them as a friend, and I said, you know, there's not really any place in America or in the world that really is sort of a consortium of charities that really is teaching young people and old, but particularly young people, especially as so many of you are focused on NextGen, um, about how to learn to get involved in charities that they believe in. And for me, it was always hard because I thought, gosh, I want to help the rainforest. Um, I want to help all these different layers and causes that I'm so passionate about, but how can I sort of put them under one roof? And we created something that is truly extraordinary and truly unique. Um, just a little brief background also about me, I think why I got involved in service. Um, I come from, I'm a first generation American. Um, my father was a prisoner of war. And my father was rescued by American troops. He was 90 pounds and six feet tall when he escaped from a POW camp. He was a Polish resistance fighter. And my father was fighting right there on the front lines, as you see so many of the Ukrainian folks doing today. I see my father when I see those young fighters. And so I grew up in a family where we cared about giving back, and we cared about appreciating others. So I grew up in a very uh, integral household where you know recycling was part of the home and uh, appreciating the troops. Um, I host the biggest telethon in the world for American troops. We've raised over $10 million. Uh, to send care packages to troops all over the world. Um, thank you. Thank you. But I've also probably helped raise probably hundreds of millions of dollars through my career just because I'm passionate about making a difference and grew up at home where that was integral. So when I heard from LIU, we started talking and I said, you know, you have all these incredible things in your base, which we'll get to in a moment, but nobody is creating something that is a consortium, a main central place to teach young people these values of service. And there's a real reason to do it, not just obviously is it a great moral thing to do, but to also give them a heads up and a leg up in life. Um, there are studies that show that if you have service in your background, you are 10 times more likely to get hired. Think about it, as you were talking about in the economy today. It is such a vital thing to have that on your resume. How many times do you have somebody who comes to you and they say, I want to uh, do X and I want to do X, and you're looking at resumes. I get, uh, we probably in television, I probably get uh, thousands of resumes a day from somebody whose son or daughter wants to get involved in broadcasting. What's the difference? You look at somebody who has a moral purpose, which is clearly what all of you have here in the room. And all things being equal on their resume, I am absolutely going to pick the person who's been involved in doing great charities like Robin Hood and doing other charities like many of you in the room because it says something about their purpose. They've already made connections. You have changed a life. So there's some real great economic reasons to do it. And so we launched, it's only been, which is really exciting, um, it's been a little over two years. And we launched the Global Service Institute, Long Island University. I'll walk you through really quick what it is, if that's okay here. Um, here are some of the folks that I've interviewed and again spent my life shining a light on. Um, but I am shameless in terms of asking them, hey, would you come and help with the Global Service Institute? Um, so it provided a really great tentacle and network for speakers and for just different layers. And if we can go to the next slide, I don't know who's running it, but we can go to the next slide. Here we go. These are just um, a few of the people that we have involved that have already spoken at the Global Services Institute. And again, in just two short years that we've had since we've launched. Um, Ann Dunley, she is the first female four-star general in America. Ben Carson, uh, we have President Bush, of course, uh, General Petraeus. Um, we've also had uh, the Prime Minister now, he was Prime Minister, he's back again, as you know, uh, Netanyahu, people that I've interviewed and I know through the years, all of them have donated their time and effort because when I explain this to them, what we're doing, they're like, this is amazing. Nobody is doing this. Um, and we can go to the next slide here, too. Um, as we are talking, just to give you a base of what we're doing at Long Island and why it is such a special place, um, 
there is nobody in education that's doing what Long Island University is doing. Um, first off, I thought about Joe was talking about their startup charities, but I also thought, why not go to a place that has an incredible base? And I kind of described it as a cake, and hopefully I put the icing on the cake. But there was an incredible cake to start out with. And nobody was doing this um, in the educational sphere. We have Rock Nation, which is, of course, Jay-Z, um, Rihanna, Alicia Keys, uh, Beyonce, uh, the Who's Who in sports, too, as well. It is an all-star group, and they are doing their only Rock Nation schools music at Long Island University. So I thought, what a great pairing. And they have certainly have been very involved, not just with education, uh, but they're also doing a lot in terms of, you know, uh, criminal justice, there's so many layers that they give back on. Um, we also have one of the top um, AI schools in the country. It's been listed constantly. U.S. News and World Report is one of the best schools in the country on a whole bunch of different levels. Also a top-notch pharmacy school, um, a vet school, all these different layers. We also have the Roosevelt School and created the Society of Presidential Descendants. So it's all the families of all the American presidents. So think about that. Again, apolitical. Uh, Republican, Democrat, we didn't want it to be political because it's education. I want in fact, on my board, I have um, Wesley Clark, yeah. and then I have Michael Reagan. People who probably never have worked together before, but are excited because in a climate like this, and I'm in the broadcast business, so every day it's like we're hearing so much partisanship. Um, this is something that everybody can come together on a service. Um, and here's our next slide, too, as well. Uh, here we go. There we go. These are just a few other people um, that we've had. You can see Buzz Aldrin, uh, President Biden, Ehud Olmer, um, also uh, the uh, ambassador there, the former Muslim UAE, and a number of others. And then here's the next slide, too, as well. I'll go through this quick here for you guys. This is really neat. This is, we have a whole bunch of different programs. One of them is a certificate of service. So kids for the first time ever will get a certificate of service. They'll get class credit because we have Long Island University, but they also get a certificate of service that they can take to get that boost in the job market. We also created, it's 100 small ideas to change the world. And we're bringing in uh, basically Shark Tank folks, people that I know from Shark Tank, uh, that will come and be judges for us. And we're also doing this, which I really love. We created the first global service app. It is the first ever of its kind tied to an uh, educational institution in the world where we're connecting people to service. So you put in, like, you know, I'm so-and-so, and I'm in Africa, and I want to help with the rainforest. Well, you type it in, and it'll connect you, either if you want to go over there, or if you want to help with them electronically. And we thought we were really ahead of our time. We were starting it, actually. We started the idea a little bit before COVID. But we launched this in the middle of COVID. And even before COVID, we were thinking, how do we connect the world electronically? How do we really get kids engaged? They are, absolutely. I want to ask you a question specifically about that app, because there are a lot of people here who are involved in social impact um, and have organizations. How do they get in touch with you to be featured on the app as an organization? Um, absolutely. Well, feel free. You can either go onto the app, which is global service, and you can download it. It's already we brought in outside developers, so we really did it right. We took state of the art. So you can either just sign on. Um, it is free, by the way, and everything we do has been free. All the virtual speakers, we've been doing monthly speakers with these who's who. Um, we had Joe Theismann talk. We had Kathleen Kennedy Townsend talk. Um, so we've been getting people who it's happened to us around the world who literally, you know, we've been getting a child, somebody from Poland writes in, or somebody from Australia writes in, and somebody from Des Moines has been writing in, and certainly New York, saying that speech, and they were able to ask questions, think about that, to have the opportunity to speak to the former prime minister or the current prime minister of Israel or a superstar uh, football player, whoever it is, talking specifically about service. And we get messages every day saying, that speech changed my life. That inspired me. It's all free. Great. Please be to sign in. Also, please come over to me, too, because there's ways that we can do it as well. Um, and then I think we just have one or two other really quick slides here. 
And the next slide, if we can go to that. Here we go. This one. Just real quick. Yep. And I don't want to give you the hook or anything, um, but just we, to, we have uh, inter interactive cultures. Uh, perfect for questioning. Perfect. So if you couldn't. Yep, actually, this might have one actually. Thank you, Mark. Yep, perfect. Actually, perfect timing. Thank you, Mark. Um, this here, really quick, you guys, is, is what makes this really extraordinary and why um, we want to engage with all of you. Not only do we have an incredible platform, and by the way, Carrie Kruckel, who is the Executive Vice President with Long Island University with Advancement, is here, um, who also is joining us. Um, and I'm just, I'm so, so proud to be engaged with you and Dr. Klein and everything that you have accomplished. It's really amazing, Carrie. But what we also can do, not only can we help you in terms of being a great partner, we can help elevate you and your charity. When we launch, this is just two weeks of all the press that we did. So you think about the difference we can make to elevate your charity and put it on the map. So we want it to be a true partnership with all of you, and I think it's something no one else is doing in the world. Thank you, Rita. You're going to be around for a while, right? So people can come up and yes. talk to you. Yes. Okay, but we do have a few minutes yes. to take some questions. And we have chairs up here for those in the back that can't see. So who might have a question? Now is your time. And this could go, frankly, to any of the, of the speakers. Yeah, any of the speakers. <laughs> uh, first of all, I'd, I'd love to talk to you offline. My name is Michelle Litt, and I work for an organization. Um, that, uh, that uh, my name is Michelle Litt, and I'm the executive director of an organization that uh, deals with uh, formerly incarcerated um, men, women, and families. But um, with respect to the program at Long Island University, which I think is spectacular, I have young adult children um, and kind of older teenagers as well. Do you have to be a full time student, or can you participate in this program um, kind of uh, as needed basis as a one credit course or take it for without credit? Fabulous. That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, anybody can be a part of it. Not a problem whatsoever. And in fact, we're going to start this summer program that people can be a part, not just students, adults, teaching the values. Because no one's really taught. And also, the great thing is, because of the incredible tentacles that Long Island University has, like Jim McGreevy, the former governor of New Jersey, who's a friend of mine, does a lot with women, uh, incarcerated women in particular. So um, we customize people getting involved in their interests and turbocharging charities. And especially as we're looking for additional partners, the partners that are part of it, we will elevate your charity like there's no tomorrow. And that's the wonderful thing. Uh, whether it's helping to you know, invite people to donate to the charity, whether it's getting volunteers, connecting people all over the world. So it doesn't have to be for credit. If they want to be for credit, it can be, which is a nice bonus for students. Um, we're also doing scholarships, too, as well, because of the incredible base. LIU has 17,000 students, branches, not just on Long Island, but also has an incredible branch in Brooklyn, and also in Westchester, also a partnership with West Point. So, and also partnerships all over the world. I walked into a gem. You know, they were established in 1920s, but have partnerships, literally already exchanges, with universities in, in Asia, in Australia, in Central America. So we already have an incredible reach. And you say you walked into a gem. I think they're very fortunate. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. Of course. The icing on the cake. <laughs> um, one more question, maybe? Yeah, one more question. I, I, I just forget. Um, so obviously you're doing amazing work. But if you said like the top two things you need most as action steps for people in this room, what would they be? We're, um, we're starting to look for partners. We wanted to, I wanted to have the case uh, first before we went out. Um, as someone who gets asked a lot of things and involvement, I would go, okay, well, who's on the board? You know, what have you done? And I'm a big believer in sort of walking the walk and then talking, even though I talk for a living. <laughs> but I also wanted to make sure we had a great date. Um, so we're now at the point where Long Island University has established all these other great partnerships. We, the Global Service, has created our incredible board, started speak, you know, our speaking series. We've done partnerships. We're doing a big gala coming up. 
Uh, we just got a huge donation actually the other day uh, for the gala, which is all going to go to scholarships. Um, so we're looking for now to have great strategic key partners. Also, I invite all of you, as Sarah so beautifully mentioned, to be a part of our app to sign up because that automatically will help you um, your charity. But we're also looking for some strategic partnerships. There's naming opportunities for the Global Service Institute, which, by the way, is a very coveted thing. Um, as coming in from the outside in, and many of you who are much more involved can attest, um, rarely does it come open where something like this, with this kind of a visibility and this kind of a, a powerhouse team that I'm so proud to be a part of, um, come available where somebody could actually name one of the programs after them. It could be like the service program, the app. It could be a technology partner or anybody who wants to have their name on the app for the rest of their life. Um, it's also 501c3. It is a 100% nonprofit. All of it goes to the nonprofit Long Island University. And again, there's no risk. They've been established since the 1920s as a base. Uh, this is not a startup. This is the icing to a great, incredible base. But we're also looking for some key partnerships who maybe it's a foundation, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's a company that wants to have their name attached. So for the rest of their lives, it will be such and such global service institute. And whenever we do any of the interviews like we've done, um, they will have an incredible life. And you think about it as somebody who's been in broadcasting, um, this really is an amazing, unique opportunity. You know, I've had where we talked about a charity on the air, and I remember one time we mentioned a, a particular charity. Um, after plugging them, they got millions of dollars of donations from one hit on major media. You know, you think about, so we have not only the ability, I really want it to be a win-win, and I want it to be somebody with the same sentiment of giving back and caring about legacy and caring about future generations. But it's an extraordinary opportunity um, where I think it will turbocharge whatever charity or whatever foundation and also shine a light on interests that they really care about for impact. Thank you. And I know that one of the goals that Mark has always had with 361 is that of collaboration and everyone being able to play in the sandbox. He's even let me play in the sandbox a little bit. But I think that what you're doing also illustrates that and how nice of you to be able to join us here to share that with 361. And they are very fortunate to have you as we are today having you here. So thank you. Come join our 361 firm community of investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.